You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1180 of the Locked on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Monday evening into Tuesday. And thank you, as always, for joining us on the show and making this podcast your first listen each and every day. Check us out on all podcast platforms, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Today's show, we'll get into a lot of different topics. We'll talk about some mailbag questions along the way here, some projections, talk about the Hawks and their recent struggles, uh, a little bit of news, and then at the end of the podcast, I look ahead to Hawks Cavs on Tuesday, a very interesting game in a lot of ways, so we'll end the show with all of that, but we'll sort of dive in now to a little bit of news, not a whole lot going on, honestly, between yesterday and today. If you missed it, though, I talked about Sunday's game and the loss for the Hawks in Boston in depth on this same podcast feed, so that is still available here if you want more on that particular contest. Since then, the Hawks did uh, have sort of a practice on Monday, not a whole lot of news coming out of there, other than the injury stuff that we'll touch on later later on in the podcast, but uh, Sharif Cooper actually went back to College Park on Monday, and Jalen Johnson did not. Now, that is not the norm. Most of the time, the two guys have been sort of paired together. Sharif's, of course, on a two-way contract, whereas Jalen's on a first-round, full, you know, rookie-scale kind of contract. But they kind of moved back and forth together for the most part. Sharif Cooper actually ended up playing and playing well on Monday in College Park. Actually had 33 points, 8 assists, and 8 rebounds for the Skyhawks, which is obviously a very nice game for him. I don't think there's too much to make out of this. Honestly, I think it has to do probably with the fact that John Collins is out right now and that Jalen Johnson has some insurance there. This does not mean that they're going to play Jalen Johnson on Tuesday. They certainly could, as we'll touch on later on in the podcast. But I thought it was at least kind of interesting that the one transaction or roster move that happened on Monday involved only Sharif and not Jalen. Um, sort of a glitch at the stage that at this point in time, the top of the podcast sort of set the tone a little bit. Um, wasn't the perfect night for the Hawks here on Monday while they were off, of course. The Wizards ended up winning. So now, actually, as of this moment, the Hawks are tied with Washington for the 10th spot. So they went from being comfortably in 10th about a week ago to now uh, actually being in a tie for 10th. And uh, the gap has widened between them and everybody else in the Eastern Conference now. The Nets also won ahead of the Hawks. They snapped an 11-game winning streak. Sorry, 11-game losing streak, I should say, for Brooklyn. They have been uh, unable to win a game for a very long time. Uh, Toronto did lose. There wasn't like it was. It wasn't a perfect storm of disaster for the Hawks in the standings. But we're at the point of the season now where standings watch, scoreboard watching, all that fun stuff is kind of uh, part of the deal. If you are a Hawks fan that wants a team to you know make a run in the playoffs later on in the season, you're rooting against teams like Toronto and uh, and Brooklyn and Washington and Charlotte, uh, etc. So. We'll get into all that as we have to, but that's kind of where we are at this point in time. The projection systems, I kind of on Mondays have been refreshing this and taking a look at sort of where the Hawks are stacking up in the projections. I won't read them all to you, but I usually sort of gather five or six of these public-facing projection systems. And basically the highest one on the Hawks as of Monday had Atlanta projected for 42 wins. Uh, that's not great, obviously, to be the highest one. That's the 538 Raptor model. And they have the Hawks with a 42% playoff chance at this point in time. Their ELO model is even lower than that, 39 wins. Uh, ESPN's at 40 wins, Sports Lines at 39 wins, Team Rankings at 40 wins, and Basketball Reference at 40 wins. So basically, every one of the systems now is either sub-500 other than 538's Raptor model. And one that's really interesting to me, actually, uh, Basketball Reference, as I sort of uh, alluded to in previous years, but now I'm going to start using this probably a little bit more on the podcast, 
because they do seed by seed projections. I don't always love the way the the, the formula works for them, and some I mean all of these formulas are kind of obscure. You don't really know what they're, what's going into them. I don't always love the percentages that I see on Basketball Reference, and honestly, I am a little bit higher on the Hawks um, and their chances than um, that site is right now. But it is worth just kind of exploring this because people, you know, the Hawks' stated goal at this point in time, both Nate and Travis have said this, and the players have said this as well. They want to be in the top six, and that was um, always going to be an uphill battle after the slow start. Even when they were winning a couple weeks ago, I was kind of, I was kind of saying, look. It's possible, and that should be the goal, but at the same time, they have to be realistic. At least I have to be realistic on the outside of things and realize that uh, they got to play extremely well and get some help. And then, of course, recently they've not been playing very well. So there's all about put in there. But the numbers are really kind of grim if you are a Hawks fan. Basketball Reference has the Hawks given a 0.2% chance at the 5 seed, a 0.5% chance at the 6 seed. So basically a 0.7% chance for that site to get the Hawks out of the play-in and into the top six. That is uh, not impossible, but certainly not very likely. Then they only give them a 2.4% chance to have the seven seed. And the seven seed in the play-in means that you host, basically you have two chances to win a home game to get in the playoffs if you're the seven seed in any conference. Um, so that, that's an advantage as well. Uh, the eight seed, the Hawks are giving a 15% chance. So basically only about a 20-ish percent chance, no, sorry, 18-ish percent chance to be in the top eight before the play-in actually begins. And if you're not in the top eight, that means you're one and done potentially. So uh, if you're the nine seed, uh, you have a home game, but they have to win two in a row. And then if you're the 10 seed, you have to win twice a row on the road to get in the playoffs. Um, again, eight, eight seed, 15% chance, nine, nine seed, 26% chance, 10 seed, 28% chance, and then 11th or worse, which is basically missing the playoff uh, altogether and the play-in altogether would be a 27.3% chance. So, I still believe wholeheartedly that the Hawks will make the play-in, um, but at the same time, that's a, that's a non-trivial projection for the Hawks to miss out entirely. Now, there are some benefits to that. If you are sort of a long-term facing person, you could say, look, missing the play-in would be decent because of the lottery odds. Uh, I wouldn't go quite, quite that far. Uh, maybe if they are still floundering in a few weeks, we'll kind of talk about that a little bit more on the podcast and sort of get into in, in our, in our draft stuff because uh, I've gotten a couple, I think they're Mostly sarcastic questions, but people asking like when the draft coverage is going to be coming. I did a couple of podcasts earlier on the draft, but uh, in, in in the coming weeks and months, we'll have plenty of draft coverage, and uh, hopefully the Hawks will not be having to deal with the lottery uh, anytime soon. Regardless, though, that's where we are at this point in time. If you are sort of viewing the Hawks through a realistic projection prism, again, I'm a little bit higher than these systems are. I think I probably have the Hawks somewhere where Raptor Metal has them, like 42, 43 wins at this point in time, which should be good enough for like the maybe the uh, maybe the eight seed, I would say. Something like that would be where I'd have the Hawks right now. So uphill battle still, but they have to win some games. And by the way, they're 26 and 30. So to get to 42 and 40, they have to finish 16 and 10. And that's not a given by any means. Like that's obviously better than they've been so far this season. In fact, every single one of these projections has the Hawks going at least 500 the rest of the way, which if you do the math is better than what the Hawks have been this year. Now, I believe that they're still better than this, but uh, that's even giving them a little bit of credit that they have not necessarily earned so far this season. Uh, one more question before we get to the uh, break and sort of more topics on this podcast. It's sort of a long question. comes from Cody, who asks, uh, he basically says that it might seem crazy given the Hawks' offensive rating, but should we be concerned about the Hawks' shot profile? It seems like the underlying metrics might not, might not reflect the top offense in terms of three-point temporary and open looks. 
Uh, Glenn Willis has been great about showing some of the bogged down possessions that the Hawks have been having with little to no actions. They've got players just living off isolations and jump shots, blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. Thank you for the question, Cody. I'm trying to get through as, as fast as possible. But uh, basically, also he, also, he also wants to mention transition offense and it's linked to the defense, but also seems in his mind that the Hawks are not pursuing many opportunities despite being pretty good in transition. So I've done this a little bit uh, this season, but not for a while. Because in some ways, it does seem kind of silly to nitpick the offense. Um, I do this on certain games, for sure. I'll talk about the offense in my post-game breakdowns. But broadly speaking, the Hawks are in a tie for third, as I record this, in offensive rating. So it's hard to criticize the offense. With that said, and he mentioned Glenn Willis in this. Uh, Glenn's been a podcast guest of mine many times, and he's very, very smart. And I agree with what he's been saying recently, is that the Hawks have been a little bit bogged down in hunting mismatches. Um, something that I've expressed that I don't necessarily align with Nate on is that he's definitely more about that than I am. I think the Hawks' base stuff when they run pick and roll is pretty much unguardable, and that's been established. Now, it's harder to do that without John Collins around, but Capella and Okongwu are both really good pick and roll guys, so there's no, re there's no reason they have to just not do any of that stuff. I think they have sort of marginalized Kevin Herter a little bit recently, uh, which I think uh, Kevin... Shenard and Glenn got into on their podcast the other day. But yeah, I tend to agree that the offense has not been at its finest recently, but the numbers are still okay. Um, just a couple numbers, though, quickly to sort of a deeper dive than just the broad points per possession number. The Hawks are 24th in the league in corner three pointers in terms of their attempt rate. That's very low. You want to have that's the best shot you can possibly take other than a dunk or a layup is a corner three, and the Hawks don't take many of those. Um, they're also 21st which is you know, bottom 10 in the league in three-point attempt rate. That's pretty low for a team that's really good at shooting. They're 19th in rim frequency, so they basically don't get to the rim very often either. So you know, below average in rim frequency and three-point frequency, that's not what you want necessarily. And they're in the top 10 in attempt rate for the mid-range and the long mid-range. Those are your worst shots. Um, early in the season, I've pointed this out a lot. And again, I'm not saying that the Hawks have to have this perfect shot profile, but it's not been what I would describe as ideal in terms of their offensive approach, particularly recently. And then they're also 22nd in the league in transition frequency. So they're below average in pace. I think part of that is just kind of Nate's proclivities. Also part of that is that the Hawks don't have a ton of like, you know, other than Trey, they don't have the grab and go, like run down your throat kind of guys. Even like DeLon Wright's pretty quick in transition, but like Lou does not like to push it right now. And at this, at this stage of his career, Bogey and Herter are the same thing. So I wish they'd play faster and take more threes. But uh, to the original point of Cody's question, it is a little bit difficult to, to nitpick that too, too much. They're still really, really good on offense, and I want to be very clear, defense is really the problem on this team this year. But at the same time, it is definitely fair to what Cody is saying to talk about the Hawks' shot, pro, shot, shot profile and also their just approach sometimes. It can be a little bit maddening and kind of uh, bogging down a little bit because, honestly, the Hawks could be number one in the league in offense in my mind. It would not surprise me too much. But, again, big picture, still top four in the league in offense. Can't really complain about that. At this stage. Okay, before we get to some more mailbag questions and look at Hawks Cavs later on in the podcast, a word from our sponsors on the show today, and the first of which is Bet Online. Football season is now over, unfortunately, for those of us that enjoy that sport, but basketball is in full swing for both pro and college hoops. With all of that said, we get the latest odds, totals, player props, where the next coach might be landing, everything else that you might find in the betting space, you can find it at betonline.net. It's the number one spot for all of your sports betting needs. BetOnline remains the best spot for all sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. It's not just basketball either. BetOnline.net is your source for hockey, boxing, UFC, golf, tennis, 
auto racing, and even the next odds on Olympic coverage and all the information for that space. Head to the website right now or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and the action. Bet online where the game starts. All right, and a question from Keelan. To kick off the segment of the podcast, Keelan asks, looking at the stuff like EPM, most of the Hawks players outside of the centers have negative defensive estimates. How much of that is down to point guard defense on the team, and how much of that is the Hawks not having the best defensive personnel? So before diving into this question, and it's a good one from Keelan, uh, I want to take a look quickly at EPM and Raptor. There are lots of different defensive metrics, but those are kind of the two prominent ones that are public-facing that are very easily accessible. EPM stands for estimated plus-minus. That's a great uh, metric on the Dunks and Threes website. And then Raptor is the 538 model and their player projections. Anyway, uh, for EPM, Collins, Capella, and Okongwu are all in the top like quarter of the league in terms of their defensive grades for this season, going to what Keelan was saying before, like all the big guys, all the centers have uh, good have good projections, basically. Um, other than that, though, like Kevin Herter and DeAndre Hunter are like around league average. DeLon Wright is a little bit below, above, I should say, league average. Mike Donovich is a little bit below league average. And then Gallinari, Lou Williams, and Trey are all in the bottom 15th percentile. So, like, they're... Very bad, basically, in those metrics. Not a huge surprise there. Raptor is pretty similar. The same four guys, Capella, Collins, Akongwu, and DeLon Wright, are above average on defense in that metric. Hunter is about average, and everybody else is below that. It's in the rotation this year. Trey and Gallo are at the bottom of that. Trey is in the bottom 10 of the entire league on 538's Raptor model. I've said this a lot of times. I'm like, I guess I'll just say it again right now. I don't think that Trey is as negative of an impact as some people do. I think he is not good. He is a negative for sure most times, but uh, I think point guard defense can be a little bit overrated in terms of how much negative impact it can have. At the same time, uh, because he uh, because Keelan asked about the point guard defense in particular, I will just note that the Hawks do probably have the worst point guard defense in the league when you factor in Trey and Lou. You know, when they play Delon, it obviously gets better, but Delon when Lou plays, Delon basically only plays the two. Because uh, Lou is essentially operating as the point guard, particularly on defense, um, whenever Lou is playing, uh, once he's playing with Trey. But regardless, uh, the Trey and Lou combination for sometimes all 48 minutes is pretty rough on defense. That kind of goes without saying, but it's also worth kind of just laying out there. Also worth noting in my mind is that the Hawks have below average wings on the whole on defense. Um, I think particularly with this year's Bogdanovich performance, I would say it's been strongly below average defensively. Hunter, um, I think, is their best defender, but also probably is a little bit overrated defensively at this point in time, particularly off the ball. And then you throw in Gallinari, who is playing more as a big, but is obviously a huge negative defensively. That's a lot of holes. You go down, you up, up down the roster, like it helps to have three or four guys that are good defenders. And I think the Hawks do have three, four, five guys that are pretty good defenders, but you're playing ten guys. So you have five guys who I would say are at least below average this season. Um, at least four. <laughs> I would say strongly below average on Trey and Lou and Gallo. And then Bogey this year falls in that camp for me. Not quite as bad as the other guys. And then Herter is more like average-ish. Um, so yeah, it's not like it's fantastic by any means on the perimeter. So again, it's just kind of a lot of negatives to add up to, to getting to the defensive personnel kind of part of this. I think I think center defense is a legitimate strength of this team. If you can play 40 plus minutes a night with either Capella or Kongo on the floor, that helps your defense. Obviously, I think Collins is actually a positive at this point. I think it, you know, you could probably debate that how much about how much positive he is, but I think at worst, Collins is a net neutral on defense. That's not what you might hear uh, sort of nationally. 
And I think a couple years ago, he was a negative defender. That's not the case anymore. I think Collins is definitely average or better on defense. So that's not really the problem. It's kind of just the perimeter. I don't want to say point guard only because it's not just that. But when you go sort of line by line and you only have what I would say, if you want to be generous, you could say three of their six. And if you want to count Gallo as kind of a perimeter guy because of what he has to do defensively, three out of seven being you know even even average on defense is kind of a rough translation. So I think personnel is the biggest problem to answer the question more more fully here. Um, but honestly, I think it remains true that the perimeter defense this year has been the single biggest on court problem for the Hawks. I think that is kind of pretty clear in the numbers because again, like Capella, Kongwu, and Collins are pretty good, and then you look at how bad the Hawks defense has been, it kind of chalks it up to the perimeter guys. So um, perfect storm of weirdness this year. I think it's actually guys been guys have been performing below what they can do as well. Like the Hawks are capable of being better than this defensively, but it is also in my mind pretty clearly true that this team as constructed with the with the talent they have is not going to be anything better than average defensively. And average I mean like 15th in the league on defense. They're obviously well below that this year, and I think if, you know coming into the year I would have projected them to be below average as well. I think something like more like 18th than 27th. <laughs> that's kind of the big gap here for the Hawks defensively, but that sort of answers that question. And thanks for the questions as always for everybody. Uh, one more here from Jeremy, who uh, apologizes for the, apologizes for another long question, but he's wondering if Trey Young is going to make All NBA this year. He mentions the difference in money if he does, and he wants to know if the team record has any bearing on that as well. Um, I will not assume everyone's heard my podcast in the, in the past. I've been saying for a while that I would still guess that Trey makes All-NBA if I had to choose. Um, it gets a little bit tighter. It's not it's not a guarantee by any means. But um, as for the money aspect, the short reason is that Trey makes about $6 million more next year and uh, with raises beyond that if he makes All-NBA. Uh, and, and it's just a this year thing because the extension goes off of just what happens this time around. So it, it comes down to this year for Trey. Um I will say this as a simple as a simple part, it does matter, unfortunately or fortunately, depending on how you think about this. Team record ends up mattering in the All NBA voting. There are some voters that are going to weigh that for sure. There are some pe- pe- uh, voters that might do a little bit less than that, but it's going to play into some people's minds for sure on that voting. I think it definitely can hurt him if the Hawks were to miss the playoffs or fall below 500 at the end of the season. People are going to sort of penalize him for that, whether they should or not. I don't think they probably should. I think it's not been his fault. They've been bad this year in some respects, but I think there are some guys he's competing with directly. You know, there's six there's six guard spots in all NBA, two per team, three teams. There's some guys who have like multi-position eligibility. I think like DeMar DeRozan being a guard in all-star voting was just ridiculous in my mind. Um, but he's probably going to be eligible again at guard on only all NBA. I'm not sure if he'll get voted there or not, but that's in play. I think Luka Doncic, another guy who is like obviously forward sized, but also has guard eligibility in some of those. So those guys have some flexibility. And then beyond that, there are some names that are like probably close to locks at this point. Like Trey Young uh, is obviously in the mix here, but I think Steph Curry is kind of a lock. John Morant, with the way the Grizzlies are playing, is probably kind of a lock. Chris Paul is always in the mix here. Uh, you have other guys that are, I would say, contenders like Devin Booker, Donovan Mitchell, uh, plus DeRozan and Zach Levine. So there's really nine guys that I can see being candidates at guard, and two of them are Luka and DeMar DeRozan, who are, in my mind maybe are not guards. I think DeRozan's definitely not a guard in my mind. Luka can kind of go either way. 
And then maybe the 10th guy is James Harden. If he were to go crazy down the stretch for Philly, maybe he gets back in the mix here. He just on pedigree alone. But it's not that deep of a pool. Like, there are guys like Fred Van Bleed a little bit, like maybe a step or two down from this. But I think it's really 9 or 10 guys competing for six spots. I think that I would have Trey solidly ahead of Donovan Mitchell. Um, I would have Trey ahead of Devin Booker and Zach Levine at this point. And then you're kind of like going head-to-head with Chris Paul, maybe head-to-head with DeRozan if you want to have him as a guard, etc. So I would personally have Trey on my third team right now, um, even with the Hawks' record being what it is. But it's definitely something to keep an eye on throughout. And it's I think the system is not very smart in the way that it's set up because like right now, if we're being honest, the Hawks have an, an actual incentive to have to sort of root for him to not make it which is nuts. You should want your best player to be on the All-NBA team, but it really does kind of help the Hawks financially in the future if Trey's not on the All-NBA team. That's just crazy. That, that incentive makes no sense to me at all, but that's the system where we're at right now for the NBA. Um, I would still guess Trey makes it, but it's certainly not a lock at all. I think he's going to be um, in that third team kind of mix. If the Hawks went on a big run, maybe it gets a little bit higher than that. I've kind of thought that you know, Trey's been underappreciated for how good he's been this year. And I'm not just saying that. People that may not know me very well may think that may think otherwise. Yeah, I'm hosting a Hawks podcast. But I, I'm pretty clearly not like a homer with this kind of stuff. I think that Trey's just been really good. If you look at the numbers, he's been like just tangibly good this year. And I think he should be in the mix for all this stuff. But to answer the question, I think that team record will play a part, whether it should or not, up for debate. But I think uh, the Hawks could – I mean, if you're, if you're Trey – and your Trey's wallet, and your Trey's pedigree, you want the Hawks to win games. Not only just to win games, but also because it helps you make All-NBA and uh, also pad your contract. So, we'll see in the next 26 games or so, and we'll have more information on that in a couple months. Okay, before we get to the Cavs preview and the end of this podcast, a word from our sponsors on the show, and the first of which is Bilt Bar. This time of year, I usually have given up on all my resolutions for the new year, but this time around, that is not the case. And part of that is because of Built Bar. Built Bar is fantastic. I actually enjoy eating Built Bar, and that helps me to eat healthy and eat right. If you haven't tried the Puffs just yet, you're missing out on one of the best-tasting Built Bars. Puffs are the first-ever protein-infused marshmallow. They're fluffy. They're marshmallowy. They're not just a protein bar. They're an absolute treat, and they're covered 100% chocolate. There's some incredible flavors. You have churro, coconut marshmallow, banana cream pie. They're all very, very good, and they're going to be your new favorite. Built Bars are low-calorie, high-protein. You can replace your candy bars with them because they're better for you, and they taste fantastic as well. Go to Built.com, scroll down to the macros chart. You'll be blown away with all the high-protein, low-calorie, high-fiber, low-carb, and everything else you can see. And honestly, if you compare it to candy bars, it's not even close. You have mint brownie, coconut, coconut almond, and new for this month, you have white chocolate cookies and cream. They're all delicious, and new flavors coming out all the time. If you think the flavor might be good, they'll absolutely make it for you. It'll be delicious, and it'll be good for you. At Built Bar, they're all about taste. They make it taste delicious first, and then they figure out how to make it healthy. I don't know how they do it, honestly, but they pull it off every single time. Go to Built.com, use promo code LOCKED15, and you get 50% off your order with Built Bar. That's Built.com, promo code LOCK15. Use that promo code today and check it out at Built.com. All right, and we'll end the show with a look ahead to Tuesday's game between the Hawks and the Cavs, the final home game before the All-Star break for Atlanta. They don't play at home for a little while after this because of the break and also the schedule, the way that it breaks down. So, you know, the Hawks have two games before the All-Star break, by the way, uh, and then they come back and they don't play again at home until February 26th, so about 11 days between home games. Regardless, though, this is a tough test for Atlanta. Um, not quite as tough as the test was on Sunday on paper in Boston. Um, but the Hawks and Cavs play, have played twice this year. They split those two matchups, not surprisingly. But the Cavs have been playing very well recently. 
and really all season. They are 13-4 and four in the last 17 games. They're number seven in the league in net rating this year. Um, that is still surprising to me. Like, the Cavs were not supposed to be this, and I was definitely wrong about them. Way, way, way too low on them this year. But Darius Garland's been awesome. Jared Allen and Evan Mobley have been really good. Uh, so, you know, the Cavs... No matter what you think about them, and I still think I'm a little bit skeptical of the Cavs overall, to be honest with you, but they've been playing very well. Um, offensively, they're a little bit below average for the season, but they've been pretty good with Garland on the floor and pretty bad with him off the floor. They made a move to go get Karis LeVert in part to address that because they don't have any shot creation outside of Garland because of Colin Sexton's injury, Ricky Rubio got hurt, etc. Um, but still, they do rely on Garland pretty heavily. Uh, they have a lot of turnovers on offense, but they are good enough on the glass as well. Um, they don't shoot a lot of threes, though, and they don't, get, they don't shoot well at the line. So that's uh, potential avenues to, exp- to exploit. Let's just say the Cavs are guardable. This is not a situation where you are prone to just having them torch you on offense. Um, the other end of the floor is interesting. So like it's kind of a strength-on-strength matchup in both respects here, whereas the Hawks struggle on defense, the Cavs struggle on offense, and then on the other side, the Hawks are awesome on offense, and the Cavs are awesome on defense. So kind of a uh, interesting matchup through that lens. Um, defensively, the Cavs are number four in the league right now in defensive rating. They're top five in the league in shooting efficiency allowed. They're top 10 in turnover creation. They're top three in free throw prevention. They're awesome at keeping people away from the free throw line. That's a big factor against the Hawks, of course. Um, they're not great on the glass, though. So if uh, the Hawks have a chance to maybe put some pressure on there with Capella and Kongwu, obviously harder to do that without, without Collins, but worth pointing that out as well. The Hawks have home court, of course on Tuesday, but Cleveland is actually pretty good on the road this year. They're number six in the league in road net rating, and they're 17 and 13 on the road, so they won't be flummoxed by the venue. Um, Injury-wise, the Cavs actually have the healthier roster coming in. Uh, only Lori Markkinen is out for Cleveland in this game in terms of their actual like rotation guys. He's out with an ankle injury, so that's a loss for Cleveland, but not a just a massive one necessarily. Um, for the Hawks, of course, John Collins is still out with a right foot strain that'll keep him out through the All-Star break, which we talked about a little bit on Sunday. And then two guys are questionable for Atlanta. Bogdanovich has left ankle soreness and is questionable. DeLon Wright has left groin tension and he is questionable. DeLon actually was probable with a hip issue on Sunday, so I'm not sure how banged up he is, but the Hawks can ill afford more absences. You know, they played nine guys without Collins on Sunday and that with Lou coming back, they were able to play nine of the ten that they've kind of chosen to play. But if anybody else misses time, I would imagine that Nate will have to go deeper into the bench. I can see them playing nine guys against Cleveland. I cannot see them playing less than nine guys. I would be surprised by that. And also, it's a different matchup in some ways. You know, Boston can play big when they have Al Horford at the four, but it's kind of a team that, can, that I would say trends a little bit smaller in some respects, whereas Cleveland starts Jared Allen and Evan Mobley together. Um on one hand, that's probably good for Gallo in that Gallo doesn't have to get run off the floor defensively in the way that he was against Boston at times. But also, without Collins, it's a matchup where you would like to have more size available. The Hawks played Hunter as the backup four. That's a little bit tougher to do uh, against Cleveland because, uh, for one thing, Cleveland doesn't really have that big physical wing that Hunter is so good at defending. Uh, so interesting stuff there. I wonder if he'll guard Garland. I don't really know how they're going to approach that, but we'll see how they start, how they finish, how they operate. But it's not a great matchup to go small necessarily. So we'll see if they give Kevin Knox a shot. Obviously, they kept Jalen Johnson up with the big league club. Potentially, they could see him. I would still probably guess not, but it wouldn't absolutely stun me. They could even, uh, you know, Nate kind of alluded to this before the Boston game, they could even try a Kongwu and Capella. I would probably guess that doesn't happen because until it happens more, I will always guess it doesn't happen. But if there was a matchup for it, it might be the one against the Mobley-Allen frontcourt. 
with that said, like Nate said, he might do it on Sunday and then didn't do it. So uh, I would say it's plausible, but not likely. We'll see what happens. They could also use TLC if they wanted to, if they wanted to go deeper in the bench, etc. We'll see how they approach this. But without Collins, it's clearly going to be difficult for them, particularly if Bogey and or Wright miss. If If they were both out... Uh, I don't even know what the Hawks would do. I would imagine it would be some combination of Skylar Mays and TLC uh, getting somewhere on the perimeter with uh, a sprinkling of Kevin Knox or Jalen Johnson, something like that. So we'll see. But the Hawks have basically had 10 guys that have played the rotation in the last, I don't know, three or four weeks total. And if they have one injury, they kind of stay with nine. If they go beyond that, they have to dip in further into the rotation. So we'll see what happens there. In terms of the projection, though, for this game, interestingly enough, um, the markets, uh, betting market actually, bet online has the Hawks as a one-point underdog. As I record this, even at home, um, five thirty-eight actually has the Hawks favored pretty solidly. So I'm not sure if that's because of the Raptor model and the Hawks are favored well in that model. Um, they actually have the Hawks projected to win by, I believe, yeah, four. Um, whereas they're underdogs in the betting market. I would trust the betting market more than anything else on the projection there. But basically, what that tells you is that it's a coin flip. That makes, I mean, that, and that honestly makes sense to me. I think the Hawks are better than their record. Cleveland might be a little bit worse than their record, but the Hawks have the home court advantage. I mentioned on yesterday's podcast that I thought the median expectation for the last two games for the Hawks um, is one and one because if you just kind of average it all out, they're probably a coin flip in this game, and then they are favored to win on Wednesday, but they have to go to Orlando. That's a quick turnaround. The Magic do not have a back-to-back, so... You know, the Magic are bad. <laughs> that goes without saying. We'll talk about that more a little bit on tomorrow's podcast. But uh, it'd be nice if I'll get this one. Let's just say. So a coin flip game. We'll talk more about this after the game is over. But a nice little measuring stick moment for Atlanta. And really, they need to avoid losses like the plague at this point in time. You know, they already have 30 losses. They're going to need to get into the house with, I would say, no more than 10 losses the rest of the season. So that kind of gives you a small margin for error. And uh, these games that are coin flips that you're playing at home, you kind of have to win to make the run that the Hawks want to make. Okay, that's all I have for today's show. Sort of a scatterbrain episode, so my apologies on that. But hopefully something to get you through until Tuesday evening. Uh, and then we'll have a game recap podcast after the game, uh, after the Hawks-Cavs game. And then another one after Hawks Magic. And then we'll be into the All-Star break. Uh, I'm not going to have full coverage of the three-point contest and stuff like that from Trey Young. My apologies. It's just one of those things. Um, I'll be a little bit lighter, but I will have at least a couple episodes next week as well before the Hawks start playing again. So we'll have more programming notes. But the best thing to do possibly to follow the podcast is to subscribe to the show. Also tell a friend about the podcast. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, all that fun stuff. Ratings, reviews, shares. Follow us on Twitter at Locked on Hawks. Follow me on Twitter at BT Roland. We thank you so much for listening to the podcast, and we'll see you next time.